Riddle. You're in a room, and there's a ghost in the room, but you're the only one in the room. Good evening. Welcome back to History Obscura. I believe you've noticed the chill in the air and also the fact that the moon is in a waning gibbous phase. You know what that means. Time to let go and make space. Or, in other words, place your banishment spells. Well, I suppose you're here for a story, hmm? Well then. Once upon a time, on the 11th of June, 1929, the psychical researcher Harry Price visited Borley Rectory in Essex, intent on investigating claims that it was perhaps the most haunted building in the United Kingdom. Rumors flew concerning the rectory, which was then home to Rector Guy Smith, and many believers claimed that the place was haunted due to its location atop the former grounds of a medieval convent. Ghost hunters quoted the legend of a Benedictine monastery supposedly built in the area in about 1362, according to which a monk from the monastery conducted a relationship with a nun from a nearby convent. After their affair was discovered, the monk was executed and the nun, reportedly, bricked up alive in the convent walls. It's enough to drive any good spirit to haunting, wouldn't you say? Well, Mr. Price's visit to Borley Rectory was documented by one V.C. Wall, then <clears throat> journalist, for the Daily Mirror. Wall's words, published on June 14th of 1929, read... Weird night in haunted house. Sheep that moved on lawn of Borley Rectory. Strange wrappings. Articles flying through air seen by watchers. There can be no longer any doubt that Borley Rectory, near here, is the scene of some remarkable incidents. Last night, Mr. Harry Price, director of the National Laboratory for Psychical Research, his secretary, Miss Lucy Kay, the Reverend G.E. Smith, Rector of Borley, Mrs. Smith and myself were witnesses to a series of remarkable happenings. All these things occurred without the assistance of any medium or any kind of apparatus, and Mr. Price, who is a research expert only and not a spiritualist, expressed himself puzzled and astonished at the results. To give the phenomenon a thorough test, however, he is arranging for a seance to be held in the rectory with the aid of a prominent London medium. The first remarkable happening was the dark figure I saw in the garden. We were standing in the summer house at dusk watching the lawn when I saw the apparition which so many claim to have seen but owing to the deep shadows, it was impossible for one to discern any definite shape or tire. But something certainly moved along the path on the other side of the lawn, and although I immediately ran across to investigate, 
it had vanished when I reached the spot. Then, as we strolled towards the rectory discussing the figure, came a terrific crash, and a pane of glass from the roof of a porch hurtled to the ground. We ran inside and upstairs to inspect the rooms immediately over the porch, but found nobody. A few seconds later, we were descending the stairs, Miss Kay leading and Mr. Price behind me, when something flew past my head, hit an iron stove in the hall, and shattered. With our flash lamps, we inspected the broken pieces and found them to be sections of a red base which, with its companion, had been standing on the mantelpiece of what is known as the Blue Room, and which we had just searched. Mr. Price was the only person behind me, and he could not have thrown the vase at such an angle as to pass my head and hit the stove below. We sat on the stairs in darkness for a few minutes, and just as I turned to Mr. Price to ask him whether we'd waited long enough, something hit my hand. This turned out to be a common mothball, and it dropped from apparently the same place as the vase. I laughed at the idea of a spirit throwing mothballs about, but Mr. Price said that such methods were not unfamiliar to investigators. Finally came the most astonishing event of the night. From one o'clock until nearly four this morning, all of us, including the rector and his wife, actually questioned the spirit, or whatever it was, and received, at times, the most emphatic answers. A cake of soap on the washstand was lifted and thrown heavily onto a china jug standing on the floor, with such force that the soap was deeply marked. All of us were at the other side of the room when this happened. Our questions, which we asked out loud, were answered by raps apparently made on the back of a mirror in the room, and it must be remembered that no medium or spiritualist was present. So taken with the home was Mr. Price that when it was empty nearly a decade later, in May of 1937, he took out a year-long rental agreement for the property. Price then recruited 48 official observers, who were mostly students, to spend time documenting the events of the house. In March of 1938, Helen Glanville conducted a planchette seance in Streatham, South London. Price reported that she made contact with two spirits, the first of which was that of a young nun who identified herself as Marie Lair. According to the planchette story, Marie was a French nun who left her religious order and traveled to England to marry a member of the Waldgrave family the owners of Borley's 17th century manor house. Glanville said the nun was murdered in an older building on the site of the rectory, and her body either buried in the cellar or thrown into a well. Wall writings, which happened frequently around the home, were alleged to be her pleas for help. One read, Marianne, please help me get out. The second spirit to be contacted identified himself as Senex Amoris, 
and claimed that he would set fire to the rectory at 9 o'clock that night on the 27th of March, 1938. He also said that at that time, the bones of a murdered person would be revealed. The fire, as it happened, was a little late, just short of a year in coming. It was on the 27th of February, 1939, the new owner of the rectory, one Captain W.H. Gregson, was unpacking boxes and accidentally knocked over an oil lamp in the hallway. The fire quickly spread and the house was severely damaged. After investigating the cause of the blaze, the insurance company concluded that the fire seemed to have been started deliberately. A Miss Williams from the nearby Borley Lodge said she saw the figure of the ghostly nun in the upstairs window and, according to Harry Price, demanded a fee of one guinea for her story. Meanwhile, Harry Price published his own famous book, The Most Haunted House in England. Before the fire consumed the rectory, one Louis Mayerling took up residence there. According to him, Harry's book became a sort of a Bible and a foundation of knowledge to the thousands who, in that age of psychic phenomena, were keen to believe. Before long, Borley Rectory stories were practically a daily occurrence newspapers. At the height of it all, we were visited by dozens of churches packed with ghost hunters every day. People were coming from as far away as America. Mayerling wrote his own book entitled, We Faked the Ghosts of Borley Rectory. You see, Mayerling had first arrived at the house in 1918 to find the eccentric Reverend Harry Bull and his family of 14 children taking active delight in perpetuating local stories of a spectral nun, a family ghost, and paranormal activity in the area. The house was the embodiment of eccentricities of many kinds, Mayerling said. His book tells of how a magic piano that the Bulls claimed was played by spirit hands was in fact activated by the six-year-old Mayerling plucking the piano strings with a poker from the safety of a nearby gap in the wall. The infamous examples of poltergeist activity were perpetrated by various servants and children who were, Mayerling claims, encouraged by the bulls to exploit the house's many hidden doors and passages. The example of paranormal activity that was given most publicity was the ringing of servants' bells. Says Mayerling, that was simply activated by prodding the servants' bells through the barred windows over the well in the kitchen passage. Britain's fascination with Borley peaked in the 30s, when Reverend Lyon Foister took over the parish with his wife Marianne. Foister found it hard to survive on his church stipend of six pounds a week, and he and his wife decided that boosting the ghostly reputation of Borley was the best way to make ends meet. Mayerling, who returned to live in the house with the Foisters, tells how the couple installed a new water heater which emitted heavy knocking sounds and proclaimed themselves horrified by the noises, then pitting the skirting boards with phosphorus powder to catch fire when exposed to the air. The couple encouraged Mayerling, who was still just a teenager, 
to walk the gardens at dusk in a black cape and turned-up collar, giving birth to the myth of a headless monk who took to writing cryptic messages on the walls of the house. Probably to save costs at Borley, said Mayerling. Sea sand had been used in the walls in place of the regulation material. This caused a permanent dampness which swallowed up anything written on them in a matter of hours. Nevertheless, many scholars recognized the wall writings as being genuine poltergeist activity, and they were illustrated in the press across the world, adding a great stimulus to psychical research and spiritualism. Mayerling admits there's one incident he's unable to explain. On Easter of 1935, Mayerling and others attended a seance at Borley. In his words, we chose an ill-lit and underground cellar at about midnight and sat in silence. Someone gave a nervous cough and was about to speak, when an extraordinary thing happened. The kitchen bells seemed to clang together in one single clash. There was a lightning strike of silver-blue light which appeared to implode from all the walls and the ceiling of the cellars. And then there was dead silence. Every member of the seance was struck with an instant paralysis which lasted about five seconds. Mayerling himself was blinded, but eventually recovered sight in one eye. I can't explain that occurrence, and to be honest, it still makes me feel rather shaken. The rest of the hauntings were, without exception, the most successful hoax of the age. In August of 1943, Harry Price came back and conducted a brief dig in the cellars of the ruined house and discovered two bones thought to be those of a young woman. The bones were given a Christian burial in Liston Churchyard, after the parish of Borley refused to allow the ceremony to take place on account of local opinion that the bones were those of a pig. Good night.